This is the Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR with Sean Belegian and former Detroit Lions historian Bill Keenest. Sponsored by your Southeast Michigan Ford dealers. Think Ford first for all things football this weekend. Here's Sean and Bill. You know what's funny? I, I'm going to start different this week because I, I, I'm going to make a confession to my uh, broadcast partner, my friend Bill Keenest. Bill, when the NFL decided to bring in the bye week in right. 1990, correct? Yeah. I hated it with the passion. Yeah. I was 20 years old. The Lions had this explosive young man out of <laughs> Oklahoma State called yeah. Barry Sanders. Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't want to miss. A week. I mean, I, I really, no joke, it, it was just, in my humble opinion at the time, as a young man, a 20-year-old man in, in 1990, I hated the idea. I, I, I can still vividly remember, and, and it, boy, it always seems like the Lions bye week is, is around this time of year, mid-October, mm-hmm. early October. For whatever reason, it doesn't seem like they get the late bye uh, but but it always seems like the the middle of October. I can remember sitting there in in 1990, going, "Whoa, the Lions aren't playing. This is weird." Uh, over the past 30 plus years, as so many things in the NFL uh, are apt to do, uh, we're creatures of habit. Bill, mm-hmm. uh, we we hated when they added the wild card. Yes, I remember that. We hated when they when they expanded the playoffs. Uh, because we're creatures of habit. And then after a little while, you start to enjoy it. I, to me, the poster child for that, Bill, is the third Thanksgiving game. I thought it was yeah. disrespectful. How dare you? Everything. Right. Bill, I can't live without that third Thanksgiving <laughs> game. Now. I right. No way, no how. But yeah. uh, what was your take? You were you were obviously in the front office at the time. Uh, what kind of brought about the bye week? What was the feeling about the bye week? Because now, I mean, let's face it. Everybody loves the bye week, right? Right. Everybody, uh, everybody loves it. And, and that's the first thing you look at when the schedule comes out. Okay. Where is our bye week And of course, when you get the schedule in April or May, by the time the bye week rolls around, there's so many extenuating factors to your team injuries, you know, how you're playing, how the next opponent is playing. So it changes it. It's very fluid in that regard, but, uh, then you can, you can sort of, you know, justify where, wherever the bye week is, if it's after the fourth or fifth week, you know, it doesn't sound like the middle of the season, but when you go back to the start of training camp, it's pretty darn close to the middle of the season. So there's ways to justify it. And obviously, you know, the, the unknown um, is how your team is physically, how the injury situation is. Are you getting some guys coming back off a of PUP and IR as the lions are, and then where are you mentally? Where are you emotionally? Do you have a ton of momentum? I remember in 91, I think we were four and one or five and one going into the bye. We had just beat Minnesota, Sean, with an incredible comeback of 21 points in the fourth quarter. Barry scored with seconds to go, a 15-yard pass over the middle where he you know he stayed back as if he's going to block and then leaked into the secondary and he scored and we won and we're on this incredible high right <laughs> the 
as I recall, the first game after the bye week was out in San Francisco, and they rolled us. Yep. And, and I'll tell you, <laughs> the other thing about that game in San Francisco, um, and I say this respectfully, you know, certainly not trying to poke fun at anything, but the one thing that any of us that were there remember from that game is there were some there was a serious wildfire in that game. And Madden and Summerall, John and Pat did that game, the San Francisco game. And John telestrated this cloud of smoke above the stadium, above Candlestick. And we were we were so close after the game, not being able to fly out because of the visibility issue that that fire had created. We did get out in time. But um, yeah, the, the bye week is, is it's it's been around long enough now that fans like you were back in 1990 have lived with it. There's always been one. So it's become more commonplace. Um, and uh, I don't know that there's any tremendous benefit, uh, at least, you know, when you get the schedule as to when it is. It really comes down to the circumstances of the season at that time, your health, you know, the mental, like I said, the mental and physical makeup of the team. Bill, you know what? I love talking to you because you you bring up things, and I was at that game, uh, the Minnesota game. <laughs> uh, the the Lions. I as a fan, I was yeah. with my buddies. Uh, remember the old ten dollars seats in the end zone? We we were in the end. Zone, oh yeah. And one of my buddies, one of my buddies wanted to leave when they were down twenty to three. I still yep. remember this. Yep. This is one of those I don't need to look this up. They were losing in the fourth quarter, yep. twenty to three. And then I got a long touchdown pass. It got another touchdown, got another touchdown. Mm -hmm. And it was, I just remember the dome was going absolutely crazy crazy because there were, there were some people that left. They were down 20 to three, came back and won that game 24 to 20. But, uh, but Bill, um, the NFL, and this was a little research that I did. I, I had to go back in my memory bank to try to remember this one. The NFL tried and, and failed obviously to have, two bye weeks in the 1993 season. Right. Um, what, what what was the deal behind that? Was that just a negative? Do you remember the talk at the time? Because I think with the 17-game schedule now mm-hmm. and the whole, uh, look, bigger, stronger, faster, and, and, and recovery mm-hmm. time being more difficult, maybe that's something they revisit. I don't know. But what was that experience like in 93? Well, it only lasted one year, Sean. Yeah. Yep. And there was – as I recall, there were some real issues with the networks because they were losing major markets every Sunday to teams that were on a buy. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at, you know, our old division. You're going to lose Chicago and Detroit, two top 10 markets. When the NFC East was out, you're losing New York. You're losing Philly. You're losing Dallas. I mean, you're losing some major markets. So to do that once during the season, I think the networks could live with that. But to have it twice um, created some some concerns rating-wise and otherwise momentum-wise. So it it literally only it, – it, it wasn't a deal where the league said, okay, we're going to try two by weeks in 93, and that's going to be it. No, I mean, if it had gone well, however you define going well – um, it would have continued, but there was a, it was clear. It was just too many for that, for that time in our league. 
Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, it was 93. Yeah. And yeah. Who, who knows that with the 17 game schedule well, and things being mm-hmm. what they are, maybe that's something they revisit, Bill? Well, I personally, I've always felt that when you play a, an international game, okay, when you play in London, you, sh- you should get the next week off. Absolutely. And that was the case for a while. It's not that, I mean, the Giants. You know, they beat Green Bay in, in London, right? And then uh, they're playing today. So it's not the case anymore. Um, so I could see, you know, with the extra game um, and with the, with the expectation, at least, that the uh, international schedule will only continue to grow, that there may be some uh, serious discussion about that for the right reason to give the players a longer opportunity to recover um, from two, you know, extremely long road trips. Um, and it's disruptive. It's not the same as you would prepare for a game uh, domestically. So um, I haven't heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Lions, of course, back in action next week, taking on uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. A long history with the Dallas Cowboys. That's something we might get into a little bit mm-hmm. next week. Some very memorable games. Speaking of yeah. memorable games, boy, that was a cheesy radio segue. Uh, yesterday was a banner day in college football. Bill and I were talking about that. Yeah. You want bang for your buck. You yeah. got it yesterday. And we're going to talk about that. We'll go around the NFL as well. Don't you go anywhere. So glad you could join us. He's Bill Keenest. I'm Sean Belegian. You are listening to Gridiron Rap on a Sunday night right here on 760 WJR. It's another great football weekend, and whatever you missed, we've got you covered. The Gridiron Rap on 760 WJR. Sponsored by your Southeast Michigan Ford dealers. Think Ford first. Here's Sean Belegian. And Bill Keenest. Well, so glad uh, you could join us. Uh, one of the things we always love to do on this show is keep you apprised of what's going on with some of these late games mm-hmm. in case, uh, you know, you're out and about. Maybe you don't know what's going on. The Chiefs and Bills are still going on. Uh, Bill, if you remember that unbelievable playoff game last year, <laughs> one of the best football games I've ever seen. Ever. Yep. It's 20 to 17 right now. There's mm-hmm. three minutes to go. That means they might score 40 points in the next three minutes. Yeah, we're that's basing right, it on son. what happened last year. Yeah. But, uh, Bill's ball uh, in their own territory at last check. Uh, they trail 20 to 17. The Seahawks uh, finish off the Cardinals 19 to 9. Kenneth Walker, the third, 21 carries, 97 yards, and a touchdown. Added a couple of receptions. Uh, Matthew Stafford in the Rams. Uh, find a way to get it done today. They pulled away uh, from the Panthers, knocking off Carolina 24 to 10. Rams improved to three and three mm-hmm. on the season. Uh, we've got a great one tonight. Really looking forward to this one. The four and one Cowboys taking on the five and oh Eagles. Uh, certainly an illustrious history there. And then the mm-hmm. Broncos and the Chargers tomorrow night for the Monday night game. Bill, mm-hmm. uh, I know we're, we plan to talk about uh, the college football slate yesterday extensively, but I know uh, you saw one today, the Atlanta Falcons yeah. jump out early on the Niners and, and mm-hmm. win going away 28 to 14. Yeah, I did that game for the, uh, for the NFL and uh, 
yeah, the Falcons get off to this lead. And then it was like you blink and they're up 14 nothing. Then San Francisco comes back and they look like San Francisco. Um, they tie the game. But to uh, the Falcons' credit, they they didn't blink. And they stayed with their game plan. They ran the ball well. A lot of RPO. Marcus Mariota was historically efficient and effective in the first half. I mean, he set some records. He didn't have an incompletion. He scored a touchdown. Throwing the ball, running the ball was just incredible. And and the Falcons, uh, they pulled ahead by uh, two scores, and San Francisco really didn't threaten. So, uh, you know, kudos to uh, to uh, Coach Smith uh, and, and the Falcons. And now with the Rams win uh, and the 49ers loss, um, they're tied at the top of the division, three and three. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a little bit, there were some other surprises today. I mean, the Jets, you know, Dearborn native Robert Sala goes up to Lambeau and, uh, and from all accounts, it was, it was as convincing as the score would suggest. I mean, what an impressive win for the Jets, um, you know, and then, and then Pittsburgh, um, you know, nobody gave them a chance against Tom Brady with with the rookie quarterback making his second start. Of course, very familiar with uh, it's not Heinz Field anymore, Sean. Acrisure Stadium to our friends from Grand Rapids. <laughs> That's where Acrisure is based. It's a Michigan company. But, um, you know, I think they led the box almost the whole game. And uh, and he gets he get, he gets a concussion uh, picket the rookie quarterback and then the lion killer <laughs> as we know him Mitchell Trubisky comes in for the Steelers and from all you know indications was just exceptional and you know they kept the lead they added to it and uh they held off uh Tom Brady and the Bucks at the end so um yeah just just like some incredible games yesterday some uh you know very impressive games today and not the least of which is uh, the one that's still going on. And the Bills are are definitely in scorage, scoring range now. So it's it's just going to come down to whether they uh, kick a field goal to tie it or can get in the end zone to, to go ahead. Bill, uh, we had the Jets and Packers. That was our local game today yeah. on Fox. I, I know you were busy working for the NFL. I'm going to tell you, the Jets are a good football team. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought defensively in particular, yeah. they were all – over Aaron Rodgers. They made his life miserable. Wow. Now, don't get me wrong. The Packers were dropping passes left and right. They really were. Mm-hmm. But they battered him today. It wasn't just the four sacks they had against him. They were in his kitchen all game. And you you could tell Aaron Rodgers is a guy I'd like to play cards with because you know when he's visibly shaken. You yeah. know when Aaron Rodgers yeah. – He was visibly shaken all game. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it was a combination of you know his receiving core – and and obviously, you know, getting getting beaten up the way he did. But, I, I, you know, I was one of those guys from afar. Oh, I don't know how good the Jets are. Right. It's right. just a game. It's just a yeah. week. Boy, Robert Sala's doing a great job. He really is. I mean, you have to give him credit. And you talked about the Packer receivers dropping, you know, some, some catchable passes. Well, let me tell you, the whole offense knows – when the quarterback's getting pressured. I mean, he's either saying something in the huddle where it's obvious, you know, they have that clock in their heads. It's ticking. And when they know that their quarterback's getting pounded and they have to, you know, 
they're getting out of their breaks. They're thinking about that. The pass is going to come quick, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that has an impact on the receiving core too. It really does. And, uh, and heck, how about New York, the Jets and the Giants? Oh, I mean, who would have thunk it? The Mets and the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, and we're just starting hockey, you know, the Islanders and the Rangers, who knows? And the, and the devils, um, but uh, man, oh man, yeah, the the Jets and the Giants, the Giants beat the Ravens. Holy mackerel! Um, they're playing some good football. You can't deny yeah, it. No doubt. You know, I I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Josh Allen, and I'll tell you why, yeah. Bill. Uh, you know, I, I I know you're the same. I love the NFL draft. I, I yeah. just think it's one yeah. of the greatest things on the sports calendar. Period. I, I really do. And you know, I've done a lot of draft shows over the years, and and I remember watching Josh Allen in college Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of the, you know, the experts, so to speak, this guy's never going to make it his delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love watching Josh Allen play. I I really, he's like, Bill, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks ever. Like, honestly, I just, and you know, he does it with that smile on his face. He's having so much fun, but I, I think he's an example sometimes of, you know, a lot of times talent evaluators want everything to be perfect. Perfect. Yeah. There isn't a whole heck of a lot of perfect no. about Josh no. Allen, okay? He just gets the job done. Yeah. And Shawnee, he just threw a touchdown pass <laughs> to put the Bills ahead with a minute to go. And a player two before the touchdown pass, he he rolled out. It was a, it was a called run to the right side, and it'll be on top 10 plays because he hurdled a Chiefs defender and gained another 10 yards. Oh. The kid is, you're right. He is remarkable. And, um, you know, good for him to come from where he was. Um, what, what, and you mentioned about what the, the scouts and, and experts want in these players. Well, guess what? You can't measure what's under the chest. You can't measure the heart, the passion that goes into it, the preparation, um, those interviews that the, the teams do with the players, the players are schooled on all that. They go to PR classes and media classes. Their agents set them up. Here's how to answer this. Here's how to answer that. We know that happens. Those <laughs> PR people get involved, <laughs> you know, but that kid has something special. He, he could tell he loves the game and he has that passion. He has that heart. And he, you know, he, he's been criticized for when he's running the ball, get out of bounds, get out of bounds. No, he'll, he'll take your head on. And uh, he's done that a few times today. So yeah, I, I appreciate and agree with your admiration of that young man. It, it was funny today, you know, they're, they're Jim Nance and Tony Romo, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're the top crew for CBS, obviously. And, and a play in the first quarter, Josh Allen, any other quarterback would have run out of bounds yep. about a yard or two short. Josh Allen literally turns sideways, <laughs> sideways, takes a shot right in the back. And you could hear Tony Romo go, oh, in the <laughs> back, you know, yeah. and it, because I, I think Tony yeah. as a quarterback knows that he's not normal. Yeah. He, he's like, I'm going to get right. every single inch I yeah. can out of that. And, you know, yeah. being Josh Allen, he just pops back up. You can see him smiling. Yep. Through the, yeah. He's just fun to watch. Yeah. 
I, I got a chance to see a few of his games that he was at, when he was at Wyoming, and I'm not make. I please don't misconstrue to anybody no. out there. I'm not saying I'm a great talent evaluator. Mm-hmm. I've missed on so many guys, but I'll say this one time: this was a guy that, and I told a, a mutual friend, Scott Bischoff. I was like, mm-hmm. "This kid's the real deal." I, I mean, he just makes plays. And yeah. the question, of course, in this one, Bill. Did they leave too much time on the clock? <laughs> well, that, I mean, what was it last year? 13 seconds or 15 <laughs> seconds, right? That Kansas City had. Uh, there's no question that thought was repeated verbally and mentally by millions of Bills fans in, in the state of New York when he scored. But, uh, but yeah, and now Mahomes can try to do his magic, as we've all seen so many times before. Absolutely. All right. uh, When we come back, an unbelievable day in college football yesterday. There was this period of time where a couple games were ending where, thank God for picture in picture. That's all I'll (laughs) say. I couldn't turn off either one of the games. We'll get into that. He's Bill Keenest. I'm Sean Belegian. Glad you could join us on a Sunday night here. It's Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR. Now, on with a gridiron wrap on 760 WJR. Here's Sean Belegian and Bill Keenest. Listen, before we get to college football, here we are talking about too much time on the clock. Uh, Bill? Yeah. The Buffalo Bills uh, picked off Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And they are going to go into one of the toughest places to play in the National Football League and knock off the Kansas City Chiefs. Holy mackerel. I mean... Uh, that plane ride back to Buffalo, knowing those Bills Mafia, right? The Bills Mafia, they they may have 10,000 people at the airport. I mean, it's true. Uh, what an impressive win. I mean, there's not a more imposing atmosphere for a visiting team than Arrowhead uh, or whatever they call it now. I'm not sure if it has a corporate name or not, but uh, to go into Kansas City, and and score late with a minute to go to go ahead and then pick off Mahomes to seal the deal is beyond impressive. I mean, that is just so impressive. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt about that. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Bill, I, I think I told you there are really two places I want to go in the National Football mm-hmm. League. Bears are I've never seen a game at Lambeau. I've oh, got to go. I've yeah. got to go. Yeah. And and I've always wanted to go to Arrowhead. I've yeah. always Everything that I've heard, mm-hmm. you know, they, the, from the signage to the tailgating, I just yeah. heard it is a great game day experience. Yeah, it really is. And uh, Arrowhead opened around the same time as the Silverdome did. And I believe the architects were the same. So there's a lot of similarities um, between the two venues. Uh, now, when you look at it, obviously, you know, there's no roof on it. And the upper level is is uh, constructed a little differently. But, you know, the lower level, the club seats and what have you, some similarities. But, I mean, it's like a college atmosphere, which is, you know, pretty pretty good compliment to have for an NFL venue. Um, it's all red. I mean, they're there and they're doing the, the, the tomahawk before the game. Um, it's an incredible atmosphere, which just makes Buffalo's performance today all the more impressive. You know, it's interesting. Every weekend, Bill. It, it it somebody steals the show. It might yeah. be on Friday. There might be mm-hmm. so many good high school games that that's what we're left talking about on Sunday or Monday morning around mm-hmm. the water cooler. Uh, 
maybe it's the NFL Sunday. And Lord knows we've had so many good Sundays recently. To me, Bill, the story this weekend was the unbelievable third October, Mm. third Saturday in October. I mean, just unbelievable action yesterday all across the nation in Mm. college football. It was. It was a a goosebump day. I mean, if you didn't have chills, knowing the storylines going into some of these games and then watching the games, uh, I'm getting chills right now. I'm literally full of chills. You know, just thinking about some of the games that that atmosphere of Tennessee oh. against Alabama was it really was indescribable. I mean, that's a beautiful stadium, beautiful venue, and all that orange in there with a the little red and white sprinkled about in the upper deck. And for for Tennessee to do what they did to win that game was incredible. And you know what, Sean? Correct me if I'm wrong um, on that field goal right that fluttered through the end zone i don't i did not hear anybody say i'm 90 percent sure that ball was tipped it may have been i think it was tipped by an alabama lineman which caught i mean it must have just been just the slightest which often can change the direction of the ball and it did change the the ball um but not enough but i think that so that was that close to being blocked um, and it went through and then it was just pandemonium and chaos, but there were, there were so many games like that yesterday, Sean. And, um, and you and I were talking about it before, you know, you go from that and you're like, that was a 15 round prize fight. Yes. Okay? It was Ali Frazier, right? You're exhausted mentally, emotionally, all the, you know, the senses that, that just exploded in front of you. And then you got USC and Utah with the storyline for Utah playing an undefeated, the Trojans, you know, you know, team, a team that was as good as any at that juncture of the season. Um, And then they win the way they won, dedicating the game to two of their teammates that had, you know, tragically perished in the last year and to do it on a two point conversion. And then, you know, the go- the chills come back again. Yep. And to watch the way, just the way everybody reacted to that game. One of the announcers said something, Sean, that was so perceptive and so profound that he had never been uh, at a game uh, as a player, announcer, spectator, whatever, where he saw tears on both sides at the end of the game. The Utah, the emotion of those kids winning that game was one thing. Winning it for their fallen comrades took it to the highest of levels. And then USC playing their guts out, playing their heart out and losing the game like that. I mean, college football is different. It is so different. And the unifier, you know, at at Tennessee, at Knoxville, at the stadium and, and in Utah. And there were others throughout the country, I'm sure to have all the students come down on the field. And and the thing that gets me about that that type of celebration is you don't want to leave. No. 
you don't want to leave because you're you're almost afraid if I leave, then I can I take this with me? Can, yeah. can I take this magic with me? Let's just camp out on the 50 yard line tonight, right? Let's just, uh, I mean, they they did take the goalpost with them in, in uh, Tennessee, I saw. <laughs> but um, yeah, just just magical stuff, magical stuff. You know, Bill, I think the great, I've, I've said this a hundred times and I'm beyond honored to be a Heisman Trophy voter. I think the greatest individual award anywhere really is the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that I do for the Spartan pregame show here on 760 WJR is I do a Heisman watch. Mm-hmm. And so I taped it on Friday and I, I said, you know, the two, thing, two things I talked about, as I said, you know, Bryce Young, will he or won't he? That's a huge question. Uh, but a guy that has a chance to make a name for himself is Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker. If somehow yep. – Tennessee can knock off Alabama. His <laughs> stock is going to skyrocket. Oh, man. Hooker, 385 yards yeah. and five touchdowns. Yeah. Bryce Young, 455 <laughs> yards and a couple touchdowns. And then yeah. you and I were talking about this uh, before we went on the air. Caleb Williams was another guy that I mentioned. His mm-hmm. name is up there. Great game for USC. Uh, 381 yards passing, 57 yards rushing, five touchdowns. Yeah. But that quarterback at Utah, mm-hmm. I, I had I, – oh. I, Bill, full yeah. disclosure, I had no idea he existed. Right. Uh, 415 yards yeah. passing, two touchdowns, 60 yards rushing, three touchdowns, ran for the winning score yeah. and the winning two-point conversion. I Gutsy, gutsy, gutsy. Loved watching that kid's moxie yesterday. No question, Sean. And, and I think as we were talking uh, before the show – if you had written scripts for some of these games yesterday, they would have all gotten thrown away. Like that's ridiculous. That can't happen. <laughs> They're not going to throw for that many yards. They're not going to win on the last play of the game. They're not going to go for two against an undefeated USC team. No, but it, it all did. And that's just the beauty of sport at every level, high school, college, the pros, the unpredictability of it. The, the, the only true reality show is sport it is and we saw some of the most compelling emotional just incredible uh realities yesterday and uh you know maybe they still are on the field in utah and then (laughs) who knows (laughs) they could still be there yeah I love picture in picture. I, I was telling you, Bill, I, you know, I was watching the Spartans. Of course, anybody that knows me knows where mm-hmm. I'm at, but literally the exact same time that Michigan state is finishing up Wisconsin in overtime was the end of the Alabama, Tennessee game. And if you yeah. remember, it looked like Alabama might win it on a late mm-hmm. field goal. Then Tennessee made some plays. They eventually end up winning it. But that was one of those times, Bill, where, where it was like, thank goodness for picture in picture. I, I mean, because I didn't want to turn either game off. No. You know, I obviously was going to leave the Spartans on no matter what. Right. But there was no way I was going to turn off that no. Alabama <laughs> game. It was it, I, it was phenomenal. And, and, yeah. and I'm with you. It was chills to the point where you're sitting there at 745 on a Saturday night. And you're going, wow. Wow. Just there's yeah. nothing else you could yeah. see. Just wow. Yeah. And you know what, Sean? The students and fans that were at Spartan Stadium left there feeling the same way. Yep. Different, but the same. The, the 110,000 at the big house. What a feeling they must have had leaving that stadium yesterday. We are for real. We can compete. You know, we're legit. And 
to have you know two programs like that in the state not to mention our our max schools and d2 and d3 schools we've talked about it so many times there's not a better state in the country for football than michigan there really isn't we are blessed and we got yep. one more segment for you gridiron wrap right here on a sunday night 760 wjr Oh, Bill, I love talking to you because you <laughs> you just remember things, and I, I and you're gonna have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I know I, I know that this is a correct answer. But we were talking, you know, obviously the game tonight is uh, Dallas and Philly, mm-hmm. and uh, Philly they don't like Dallas too much. I, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> like Dallas too much, but no. that's a story for a different day. Yeah. And, and you brought up that Dallas white jersey, yeah. And I remember in the NFC East days. I mean, this is going back to Tom Landry mm-hmm. time, okay. Mm-hmm. I remember the two teams that would not let Dallas wear the white jerseys were the Washington Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. Every time. I mean, go back and look at those Mm -hmm. games because every other game, Tom Landry wanted to wear the white jersey. Yeah. And it was was Washington and Philly that never let them wear the white jerseys. Never let them wear the white jerseys. No question. I think... I think that had something to do with the mystique of the Cowboys. The home team chooses what color they're wearing at home. So Dallas chose white. Okay. 99% of the home teams are wearing their dark jerseys at home. The colorful, you know, Honolulu blue. So Dallas would wear the white at home. And then in almost every stadium they played at on the road, they'd wear the same jersey. Yep. So for a team that was on TV, you know, with Pat and John at four o'clock at, you know, the vet in Philadelphia at the Meadowlands or wherever they were playing at the Silverdome. Um, the fans across the country saw them with these, these, uh, you know, glistening silver helmets and the white jerseys with the blue numerals until teams, I think, I think sort of caught went, wait a minute here. <laughs> we're going to put them in those, uh, those goofy blue jerseys, you know, those darker jerseys, they don't look like the Cowboys. And, uh, and you're right. You know, the Eagles and, and, and Washington wouldn't, wouldn't go for that because the home team determines the jerseys. Yep. So uh, just one of those things from, you know, the history of the NFL that makes it so intriguing, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know what they'll be wearing tonight. I guess we'll have to tune in, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're in their, they're blue jerseys. <laughs> oh, those, those, you know, before Jerry Jones changed that, that yeah. was the ugliest jersey. That cowboy blue. Oh, I know. Was yeah. Such an ugly jersey. It yeah. really was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, big weekend coming up in high school football. Uh, mm-hmm. it is week nine, which week mm-hmm. nine for a lot of teams means the end of the season for mm-hmm. a lot of players the end of their career. Yeah. So you were talking about the emotion of football and, and oh, certainly yeah. the emotional roller coaster yeah. that we saw yesterday, mm-hmm. Bill. I don't think it gets much more emotional no. than that last time walking off the field. And a lot of kids are going to unfortunately experience that what five days from now. Yeah. It uh you know, having the the good fortune of uh going through it with my two sons myself twice and I can remember each of those days like it was yesterday. Um, my oldest son, his final game, uh, Billy, who's the, the coach at Holly now, his final game was at uh, Fenton and it was an away game. And I knew it was going to be difficult for him. So I drove back to the high school uh, just to be there. You know, no plan, no other than just to be there. 
And uh, I beat the buses back to the high school and the buses pull up to the locker room entrance. We won the game and that was secondary. It really was um, because this was the last game. Um, And uh, and I watch all the players and coaches file off the buses. He's the last one off the bus. His uniform is still on. His Mm. helmet is still on. He hadn't taken anything off. So I watch all the players and coaches and staff go in the locker room. I'm waiting out in my car and, uh, and I'm waiting and kids are starting to come out. Coaches are coming out. Everybody's coming out and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. He ain't coming out. (laughs) So I think, okay, I better go into the locker room. Um, so I get up, everybody's gone. I walk in the locker room and he and one of his best friends, Brad Grunewald are sitting on their stools, staring inside their locker with their arms around each other, both of them in oh. full uniform. Oh, you don't want to take it off for that no. final time. No, you don't want to take it off. And then my son Chris, his final game was a playoff loss, and it was a home game. But they're sitting outside that locker room on some benches. The whole team is is outside the entrance to the locker room. They don't want to go into the locker room for the last time. And he's sitting there with his head in his hands and a couple underclassmen have their arms around them. And it's just the most beautiful, emotional, agonizing, yet life reality um, that you can experience at such a young age, um, knowing that after hundreds of times of putting that jersey on, putting those spikes on, and it's any sport, it's applicable to any sport. You know, you're playing with kids you grew up with, with your buddies from grade school and and jun- and middle school and high school. And for the vast majority of them, that's it. That's yeah. it. High school is it. And it's like you're fighting reality. You don't want to take that jersey off. Um, but they all do. And they all get through it. And thankfully, they can look back on those times and cherish the memories, the friendships, the bond, the true bond that those kids will share and carry with them for the rest of their lives. That is such a great way to put it, Bill, because I I remember when my son, it was a different sport, but when his career came to an end, I remember thinking to myself, all the different sports, including football Mm -hmm. that I took him to, really it was the span of about nine years. Yeah. And I think a lot of these high school football players, maybe they start when they're 18 and, or excuse me, when they're eight, mm-hmm. nine, and it's only eight or nine years, but you, you can't quantify it in terms no. of eight or nine years. I mean, that's not, it's not fair to even think that way. No. And that's, that's what I realized through my son that I didn't even realize when I was playing again, a different sport, but I, you can't, you can't think of it no. as eight or nine years. It's life experience. It is. And and you're with those, those kids all day long at school. They're classmates, they're friends, they're friends first. They become classmates, they become teammates. So the bond is unique. It is so unique. And you start reliving the memories. I know at Oxford, um, Bud Raleigh, the, the longtime great head coach for Oxford. Imagine. Yeah. Would have the seniors, the senior captains talk to the team after the very last practice. And I'm getting emotional now just thinking of that. And I remember Billy telling me that he's got to talk to the team because he was one of the captains. And, uh, oh, my 
gosh, <laughs> you know, how wonderful is that? And, uh, and like I said, it's a bond that, uh, that you just, you'll never ever lose. And, and I'll tell you one thing. Um, I don't know why it reminded me, maybe, uh, I'm thinking about, um, you know, Sunday night football and Tony Dungy being on, um, on the broadcast for NBC, but, um, Tony Dungy once was asked, once was asked, uh, when he was still coaching, he was still with the Colts, what his greatest professional regret was. And it was actually, this interview was a year before he went to the Super Bowl and won. And anybody that knew Tony, you know, he got close in Tampa, got close within the, um, you know, probably the thought was, oh, you're, you, that you never won a Super Bowl as a head coach. And that wasn't his, that wasn't his answer. His answer was that I never coached high school football. Wow. That I never coached high school football because Tony, when he would interview prospective players at the combine, almost every single one of them talked about the influence their high school teammates and coaches had on their lives. Oh, that's all. Good luck to the Broncos. They take Brandon again. Bill, always a pleasure. Eric Dortch. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Gridiron Wrap.